0: You're listening to an airwave media podcast.
1: Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer. And Dr. Andrea Love. And this week, we are tackling a topic that has been requested more times than we can count, intermittent fasting. And we brought on another amazing guest. Uh, I'll introduce her in just one moment. Before I do that, just a reminder that if you haven't already tuned into last week's episode, you should definitely check that out. That episode was called Mirror, Mirror on the Wall, A Look at Body Dysmorphic Disorder. We tackled a lot of misinformation on the topic. We disentangled um, BDD from dysmorphia and disordered eating and tackled a lot of other really interesting topics. I learned a lot from that episode, so if you haven't tuned in, definitely do that. So, okay, let me introduce our amazing guest, Megan Featherston. Megan is a board certified sports dietitian and owner of Featherstone Nutrition and helps endurance athletes fuel for their best performance. She lives in Northeast Ohio and is a mom of two, five and seven. I have, um, Megan, just so you know, I have a, an almost five-year-old and a six-year-old. So we could talk about that separately. <laughs> She's an avid runner. And her first marathon in 2009 was 3.58 and I'm not going to lie. So Megan and Andrea are runners. I'm a sitter. I'm not a runner. (laughs) And I had to, like, it took me a minute. I'm like, wait, is that three hours and 58 minutes? Because it would be three days for me. So that was impressive. But then her last marathon at Chicago in 2022 was 2.50, which just makes absolutely no sense to me, but is just (laughs) incredible. Um, and you can follow Megan at Featherstone Nutrition on Instagram. Megan, so great to have you on the pod. Thank you. Thanks for having me here, guys. So, Andrea and Megan, I know you have a lot to say about this. You're both runners. You're both athletes. And intermittent fasting is something that's really prevalent in the running community. Is that right?
0: I mean, it's prevalent in a lot of communities, but, you know, in in the runner Sphere. there are a lot of people that feel very passionately about a lot of things that may or may not be evidence-based. And, you know, this is something that, you know, I know Megan has tackled on her Instagram page, you know, a lot of misconceptions about running fasted. And, you know, there's a lot of divisiveness in terms of, you know, how you should be fueling for performance and things like that. But obviously, you know, this topic is relevant to everyone, especially in January, because people are talking about their New Year's resolution a lot of those are focused on um, on diet changes, weight loss, exercise habits. And, you know, as we noted in the last episode, but it still is true here, is losing weight is the most common New Year's resolution in 2021. It was 23% of people said that in a survey, but it's also the one that's most frequently broken with 33% recording that they're not able to stick to those plans. Mm -hmm. And intermittent fasting in particular is now the most popular dietary pattern in the U.S. as of 2018. So, you know, seeing it more and more, um, it's, you know, it's often touted as a beneficial way to lose weight and be more healthy. And it was the most popular diet in in 2018, according to um, a survey by the International Food Information Council. So
1: I didn't realize that. Wow.
0: Yeah, it's getting you know. I mean, on these Facebook groups, it's like, oh, I do IF, and maybe Megan, you know, sh- she can dig into some of the nuance and the and the types of intermittent fasting in, in a minute. But yeah, it's it's um. It's pretty popular. It's popular. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I have had several friends talk about it, and yeah. Anyway, so obviously the goal of this episode is is to dick it, dick, dig in. There's ways to dig in. Oh my goodness, dig into the evidence. <laughs> what do we know? What you know? What don't we know? So let me just set the stage, if I if I may, and then I'm going to turn it over to you two to really dig into the into the nuance and the details. But okay, so what is IF? What is intermittent fasting? So whereas many diets focus on what to eat. Intermittent fasting focuses more on when you eat. So you're only eating during specific time frames, um, fasting for a certain number of hours each day, or just eating one meal a couple of days a week is said to help burn body fat. And there's uh Johns Hopkins neuroscientist, I was just telling Andrea before we started recording, Dr. Mark Matson. He is a proponent of intermittent fasting. He studied for 25 years and he sort of set the stage for the diet saying that, you know, the thinking is that. Our bodies have evolved to be able to go without food for many hours, or even several days, or longer. And in prehistoric times, before humans learned to farm, they were hunters and gatherers who evolved to survive and thrive for long periods without eating. And you know they had to. It took a lot of time and energy to hunt game and gather nuts and berries. But obviously, in 2023, things are very different. Our lifestyle and dietary patterns are, are different. TV, internet, entertainment available 24/7. It just it changed. Our lifestyle habits and our eating habits. So according to proponents of intermittent fasting, there are several ways to do it. And Megan, I'm really interested in hearing more about this, Um, but they're all based on choosing regular time periods to eat and fast. So per Dr. Matson, the thinking is that after hours without food, the body exhausts its sugar stores and starts burning fat. And uh, he and others refer to this as metabolic switching. So if someone is eating three meals a day plus snacks and they're not exercising, then every time they eat, they're running on those calories and not burning their fat stores. And you know, all diets achieve weight loss through the same equation, right? We, we take in less food energy each day than our body burns for normal activity, and intermittent fasting achieves this by severely limiting calories. As I said, you know during certain time frames. And there's one pattern that seems to be popular when I was doing some searching, and that's the five to two diet. So Dr. Frank Hu, who's the chair of the Department of Nutrition at Harvard School of Public Health, he explained that this is when you eat normally for five days of the week, but then restrict food intake to just 500 to 600 calories on the two fasting days I'll just stop there but you know again you know what we want to tackle here is you know is intermittent fasting better than other dietary changes or overall caloric reduction and the the spoiler alert is that the data do not indicate that it's superior and it might actually be dangerous for people so, Andrew, do you want to sort of set the stage, talk about some trends? Should we turn it over to Megan? What do you think we should get into next? Let me just
0: quickly kind of talk about, like, some of the cellular rationale behind, like, why this has gained popularity. And then, and then I want Megan to kind of dig into the, the dietary patterns and, and some of the other questions that we've received. So, you know, there, there have been studies over the last couple of decades that suggest that moderate caloric reduction, particularly in animal models or mouse models, can actually extend longevity of the animal, so the lifespan of the animal, um, about 10% 10% if you restrict caloric intake by about 30%. And a lot of this kind of set the stage for okay, well, if we're reducing calories, you know, should we reduce it at certain periods of time and eat normally at different periods of time? Does it really matter when we eat or is it the total caloric intake? And there are some processes that occur at the cellular level. And one of which that has gotten quite a bit of attention is this enzyme called telomerase. So, telomerase is an enzyme that normally is active in early life. And it is an enzyme that basically forms these structures called telomeres, which are protective caps on our DNA. So the analogy that I always use is it's like the little plastic caps on the end of a shoelace, and it prevents the shoelace from deteriorating or fraying. But every time your cells reproduce, so as you age and as your cells divide over the years, that plastic cap on the shoelace starts to wear down and the shoelace starts to fray, and eventually gets to the point where there's no cap left and And then that's where you start to have DNA damage and things that are associated with aging or other diseases of aging, such as cancer, can crop up. So there have been some data to suggest that by reducing caloric intake, you can actually reactivate or stimulate the activation of this enzyme to regenerate these telomeres. Now... That is not to say that that's actually happening in human people, um, but some of the reason why some of these diet trends have taken off is because of these preliminary kind of preclinical and in vitro studies. That's all I'm going to say about that right now, but that's kind of setting the stage as to, you know, where some of this fundamental research takes place and then kind of leading into how these are implemented in in populations. So Megan, maybe you can kind of tell us about the different types of, of IF. Sure. So, I mean, you guys
2: really hit the nail on the head here that we do. We live in a 24-7 food culture. We can get Our hands-on and have access to food at any time of day. We see commercials for foods all night long if we want to. So it makes sense that something such as intermittent fasting has caught on because a lot of us have expanded the hours within our day that we're eating past what maybe is actually healthy for us. So, you know, as typical Americans, we overreact and restrict to, I'm going to eat for as few hours throughout the day as I possibly can. So I think part of the reason intermittent fasting has caught on like it has is kind of just a, a reflex to kind of the eating culture that we have developed here. But then, you know, the other piece of it is a lot of people have been on a calorie restricted diet for years and years and years. That's kind of been the basis of all weight loss for a long time. And now all of a sudden something came out such as intermittent fasting, which looks at things very differently. So instead of dialing down the amount of nutrition we're eating on a daily basis, we have an on off switch we're eating or we're not eating. So it's a very different concept and way of looking at our eating. So I think that became attractive to people as well. So as far as like, how does that on off switch work in different ways? So one of the ones is periodic time restricted feeding. So when we look at the research, a lot of that would be fasting for 16 hours a day and eating for eight. So that one has become very popular. And people are just kind of whittling down the number of hours that they're eating within the day. And then of course, we've also seen people eat one, Meal a day. So they're only eating for two hours a day. So there's all different variations on this, but I would say the most popular is that 16.8. And then another one that we do actually have the most research on and we see people doing is the 5.2 that you were all mentioning at, at the beginning, which is where five days a week we eat pretty normal, exactly like what we would do. And then two days a week we're dialing back how much we're eating to about 25% of our nutrition needs on a daily basis, which is around a meal or 500 or 600 calories per person. So those are the two that we typically you know, see the most frequently. We will see some people do a full fast for one to two days a week where they're eating nothing. So there is a million different variations of how people are actually utilizing intermittent fasting, but I would say those are probably the most popular.
0: So Megan, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, obviously one of the purported benefits is weight loss, and of course we'll dig into what data actually say on that, and as our listeners know, anecdotes or, or single case studies do not represent the body of evidence, but what are the other purported benefits, and 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 then maybe we can dig into kind of, you know, what what some of the recent meta-analyses and reviews and, and research is showing about these.
2: Sure, I think weight loss is obviously the most popular one that most people are going to intermittent fasting for, but As you mentioned before, longevity. So there was a lot of people thinking, you know, if I do this, it can actually extend my lifespan. Other people have done it for um, managing blood sugar. So someone with type two diabetes, or someone who's trying to. improve their insulin sensitivity. Um, we also see people doing it for overall heart health uh, to lower their blood pressure. We see a lot of uh, primary care providers recommending intermittent fasting for things such as high cholesterol, um, type 2 diabetes, pre-diabetes, that types of thing, um, you know, aside from just that weight loss piece.
0: So can you kind of tell us, you know, you know, it's, it's obviously very confusing for individuals when their clinician is saying, oh, well, you know, you should implement this and you should implement that. And then, you know, someone else is like, well, you know, the data don't say that. So can we maybe talk about or or dig into some of what the more recent data suggests with regard to these purported benefits? Sure. And
2: I think a lot of times there's not a ton of time to be like, well, what do I do about this doc? So it's, uh, well, intermittent fast. And so it doesn't need to be a huge long conversation. So then we leave, you know, with all sorts of questions about what is the right thing for me to be doing, you know, with my nutrition. And when we really look at the weight loss piece and we look at the research, we look at the big studies, the small studies on women, on men, what we're finding is, chronic energy restriction, which is dialing down our nutrition for the day or intermittent fasting, The weight loss outcomes, both short term and long term are very comparable. There is no research out there to show that intermittent fasting is more beneficial for overall weight loss than our typical, you know, dialing down how much we're eating on a daily basis. So that's a that's pretty clear in the research.
0: Yeah, and so a 2022 review in Nature Reviews Endocrinology actually summarized some of those key pieces. So, so they looked at three types of intermittent fasting: so alternate day fasting, the five two diet, and then the time restricted eating. Um, they found that when you're looking at a short duration, so implementing these dietary patterns for between eight to 12 weeks, um, they produce mild to moderate weight loss. So they're looking at a three to 8% loss of body weight from baseline. They also noted that that degree of weight loss was on par with what you're achieving with traditional dietary approaches, such as a daily caloric restriction. So you're just eating less in general on a day-to-day basis. They also noted that because, you know, a lot of these protocols are short-term, it's really hard to determine, is this long-term sustainable? Are there potential longer-term negative consequences? So there aren't a lot of randomized controlled trials or well-controlled studies that evaluate the feasibility or the safety or the or the healthiness of intermittent fasting diets for longer durations. And they also noted that, you know, there have been a couple of studies that demonstrate a benefit with intermittent fasting with with regard to things like triglyceride levels, LDL cholesterol, insulin resistance, but other studies show no benefits, show no no changes on those. They did note that generally speaking, it's probably generally recognized as safe. Um, You know, it doesn't seem to negatively impact metabolism or metabolic health, but there's a lot that we still don't know about it. Um, and that was actually very consistent with a summary from the National Institute on Aging where they state that there's insufficient evidence to recommend intermittent fasting and and really you know you need to consult you know trained clinicians and trained clinical providers before implementing something that can be very drastic.
1: So I couldn't believe it you know we're, we're recording this episode on January 20th and just yesterday as I was you know perusing the, the news on my phone, this headline popped up, um, CNN. And the, the headline was intermittent fasting may not be as helpful for losing weight as one's thought study finds. So of course, we tracked down the study, the study was published in the Journal of the American Heart Association in you know this month, January 2023. And it tracked the portion sizes and eating times of 547 people, uh, in addition to data on their health and weight over the course of six years. And the data showed no association between an interval of the day in which people had their meals and their weight. So one of the authors of the study said, uh, based on other studies that have come out, including ours, we're starting to think that timing of meals through the day most likely doesn't immediately result in weight loss, adding the caveat that for some people, timing meals may be a useful tool in tracking uh, nutrition. A couple of things I have to note as a data scientist. Um, first of all, this study was observational, not experimental. Uh, Andrew, you were alluding to this, um, that you know a lot of the studies that have been done to date are observational so you're you're collecting data from people based on their dietary habits you're not assigning the diet to people and so you know that of course introduces biases because people who are drawn to certain diets there may be other characteristics that are also impacting outcomes and in fact I actually had a friend who was touting the intermittent fasting diet he said it totally changed his life he lost so much weight and I said, wow that's so interesting you know did you happen to make any other lifestyle changes and lo, and behold he mentioned that he you know cut out alcohol or he's drinking a lot less or he made these you know he's walking more every week and so you know it's it's difficult to disentangle some of the other lifestyle changes that sometimes um go along with changes in diet. Um, One other thing to note about the study is that there were few racial and ethnic minorities among the participants. And, you know, of course, we understand that there are social determinants of health, such as stress and environment that could be contributing to outcomes. And then just one other thing I wanted to note. um, So as I said, the experimental research evaluating intermittent fasting has been really, you know, relatively short. Uh, So the studies are short. They suffer from a lot of participant dropout. They enroll only a limited number of participants. Uh, There was one study. Is this the one you were talking about, Andrea? Maybe not. Uh, Published in July of 2017 in JAMA Internal Medicine, where 100 people who met criteria for being overweight were assigned, so this was an experimental design to one of three eating plans, restricting daily uh, calorie intake by the same amount every day, so like a traditional diet plan, fasting on alternate days, and then continuing. Continuing with normal eating habits. And at the end of the year, both diet groups had lost weight compared with normal eaters. However, the fasters didn't fare any better than the conventional calorie cutters. So, this again, I think this just like drives home what you were saying, Andrea, that there really isn't a whole lot of evidence supporting this diet. Can we talk about some of the other claims linked to intermittent fasting? (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, you know, as as I mentioned, and and I'm going to hand it over to to Megan in just a second, there are some limited data that suggests that it, you know, can help with insulin resistance, um, hypertension, dyslipidemia. So things that are associated with various types of cardiovascular or obesity-related illnesses. Again, the, the data are a little bit conflicting there. There isn't a ton of evidence that intermittent fasting is superior to traditional dietary improvement trends. But I do want to just clarify that there is no evidence that intermittent fasting helps to prevent cancer, cure cancer, you know, prevent other sorts of neurodegenerative disorders or disorders of the aging, you know, whether or not new data may come to the surface in the future, that's still TBD. But but please, you know, don't don't believe someone who's claiming that this is kind of a a cure all or a, or a, a global panacea for a lot of ailments. So I think, you know, Megan... And and I do want to note that the American Heart Association, and I I want to note this because, Jess, you just cited um, that study published in their journal, they do not recommend intermittent fasting for heart health, which is another kind of touted benefit. You know, they do recommend a whole slew of healthy habits, which, of course, also include some of those confounders, you know, good exercise patterns, um, you know, just keeping general track of your nutrition, good sleep hygiene, all of those sorts of things that we know are good for over. Overall health, but we actually got this question from Caitlin, who's a member of our herd. She wanted to know, you know, especially from a dietitian perspective, how does the public discern the line between a fad diet and and scientific data, especially with regard to something like intermittent fasting? Um, she noted that, you know, she's seeing more mainstream people in the medical field, you know, starting to recommend this as as you even noted, Megan.
2: Right. And you'll see a lot of people touting intermittent fasting as a lifestyle um, versus a diet. So I think that's probably what's blurring the lines here for Caitlin a little bit as well. In my opinion, as a sports dietitian, I feel that intermittent fasting falls into the fad diet category. I don't think this is something that's going to be along forever, but kind of some tips that I give people to help them decide whether something is a fad diet. It often has quick fix claims. Attached to it. It's usually very trendy. It can often be something that's short lived that people can't stick to for the long term. Sometimes they're eliminating large food groups, which obviously intermittent fasting is not. So that's kind of something they often pull out to say it's more of a lifestyle. And it's usually going against what our standard dietary recommendations would be. Um, So those are some things that you can kind of think about to decide for yourself if something feels like a fad diet. And then the other thing that I always tell people to think about when they're trying to figure out is something sustainable from a diet perspective is, does this feel harmful in any way to you, your lifestyle, your mental health, your physical health, Um, for someone that is perhaps choosing to do intermittent fasting and not eating till lunch? Does that mean they can never go out to brunch with their family on Sundays? You know, things like that, that might get in the way of kind of our normal behaviors and might make it a little bit difficult to follow, or maybe just downright not enjoyable. Um, And, uh, you know, I think those are some of the things that we want to be thinking about, um, that mental and physical health and how we feel when we're eating a certain way just cannot be underplayed. You know, we need to definitely be paying attention to that.
0: So you bring up a great point, Megan, and, and I originally was going to maybe talk about this at the end, but I think it's, it's perfect right now. So, you know, one of the things that we often see, so typically, you know, intermittent fasting, if you look at kind of weekly caloric intake in a perfect world, should be similar to what the weekly caloric intake would be with someone who's doing a daily just general caloric restriction. What we often see instead, though, is that people are binging during that window of you know the the period of time that they're allowing themselves to eat for are we really restricting calories or are we just restricting the period with which we're eating and how does that play into other sorts of psychological damage like disordered eating or binge eating and so on
2: and that's one of my big concerns for intermittent fasting for some people so this might work well for certain people but for anyone who has a history of disordered eating what we end up finding is it just further perpetuates the restrict binge. And it's just putting parameters around when can I eat and when can I not? Because to your point, if we're not changing our behaviors around eating, it doesn't matter when we are or are not eating, we're likely not going to change in a healthful way to make a meaningful impact if weight loss is the goal, or even if just healthy eating and eating a little more well-rounded is the goal. If we're doing something like intermittent fasting and we're getting too hungry, I always say hunger is the enemy of healthy eating. Because if we get too hungry, all bets are off. You know, our animalistic nature comes out and we're going to eat whatever we can get our hands on. So if you're somebody who is prone to getting the hangries, um, you know, and we end up restricting for so long intermittent fasting that when we do get to a meal, we feel out of control. We feel sick. We feel dizzy. We feel like we're overeating, overshooting the mark because we know it takes a long time for our stomach to tell our our brain that we're actually full. So is it actually better? A beneficial habit to get pulled into? Or for some people, could it potentially be harmful?
0: So, you know, you also mentioned you can often define a fad diet as something with a short-lived. So what's the typical duration that people are able to sustain an intermittent fasting pattern?
2: One of the studies that you guys were quoting, um, there was a 38% dropout rate in intermittent fasting, which was higher than the control group, obviously, and higher than the caloric restriction. So, you know, I think it's going to depend on the person, right, and kind of how it fits into their lifestyle. But in my experience, adherence is not incredibly long or high related to intermittent fasting.
0: Yeah, and that's certainly something something for people to consider, right? You know, these quick fixes, they, they're they very appealing. People want to get their habits back on track, but are you actually implementing habits that you can maintain for the long term.
2: Right. I mean, the best eating pattern or diet pattern is the one that we can stick to and the one that we can maintain for the long haul. We know that the best way to change body composition is slow, steady, meaningful, reproducible changes, not necessarily something that, you know, is too hard to stay onto and we can't stick with it.
0: Okay. So we have a couple of other questions from our herd and some of these are, you know, we've got, we've got a high proportion of women in our group. And so, you know, obviously, There's a lot of misinformation in the women's health sphere. So Judy wanted to know about whether or not there are different effects on men versus women with regard to intermittent fasting. And what is the difference likely due to if there is one?
2: You know, that is a good question. And honestly, I'm not sure we have quite enough research to really figure this out. But coming from the background that I come from working with a lot of endurance athletes that are females, whether it's recreational or whether it's competitive, there is a lot of research that looks at intraday energy availability which would mean going too long or, like I call it, getting too far in the caloric burn hole at any one point during the day. And female hormones do not like that. So even if we're eating enough total calories for the whole day, if we're getting too far in that calorie burn hole at any one point in time, we're finding that we have increased cortisol, we have decreased reproductive hormones. And what they found is that's much more prevalent in females than in males, that males are a little bit more resilient to getting into... Into that energy deficit hole that I was describing in the short term. But if we look at long-term research on endurance athletes who are males, we see that they do end up getting into the same types of issues of having low testosterone like women do. It's just women see these negative effects much more quickly.
0: You know, it's really interesting because I'll go out for my long run on a Saturday morning and I'll run, you know, and I bring my Pop-Tarts with me. I'm a huge proponent of Pop-Tarts on a long run. And then, you know, I'll get back and if I don't eat like another meal within a very short period of time, I... Feel super lethargic. I feel headachey. I feel like I'm getting physically ill. Whereas some of my, you know, male running partners often can fare much better before having to bring in those extra calories. Um, so, I, you know, I definitely think that that's something to consider, especially if you're an active female,
2: right? And even if we're not, I mean, we opened up with me working with, you know, runners. But even if you don't classify yourself as like a runner, you're doing a 30 minute aerobic class or something like that. If we aren't getting that recovery nutrition after, we're actually putting ourselves into a very catabolic state and breaking down that muscle mass that we're trying to build back up. So I always tell people, like, if you are choosing to do intermittent fasting, please make sure that your exercise is scheduled so that you can eat within that hour after that exercise to try to stop the breakdown of the catabolic process that your body is in by fasting so that you're getting the benefits of that workout still.
0: You noted, you know, hormonal impacts and some of those consequences. Of caloric deficit. So, Irene wanted to know Does intermittent fasting help women lose weight during perimenopause and menopause? Now, we know that on the whole, intermittent fasting does not appear to help people lose weight more than general caloric restriction, but maybe you can kind of speak on this specifically.
2: Sure. And, you know, the biggest thing that we know that is helping women in that perimenopause or the menopausal state with the abdominal weight gain is nailing our protein intake three different times a day. We know that we have got to be increasing our protein intake and making sure that we're getting it three discrete times throughout the day to help with appetite, to help with lean muscle mass retention. And then the other piece is exercise. We know that we need to get our heart rate up. So if you think about those like HIT exercises, right, where we're like getting our heart rate up, bringing it back down, getting it up, bringing it back down, even for a short duration, like 20 to 30 minutes, most days a week. Those are the two things that are showing to be the most benefit for women in that peri perimenopause pause time period, not intermittent fasting. So we do have some research to show what works and it's definitely not intermittent fasting over those two things.
0: And I think, you know, it's important to note, it doesn't need to be a crazy hit activity. It could be something as simple as jumping jacks or, or jump rope or things like that that you can even do at home with, with, you know, just your body.
2: Right. I mean, it's getting your heart rate up more than it's used to. So it's all dependent on you and where your fitness is for sure. Yeah.
0: We've kind I think teased out, You know, intermittent fasting does not appear to be beneficial on the whole for weight loss or or some of these other kind of metabolic conditions. For certain individuals, it might be beneficial because they need the structure to kind of keep on a healthy habit. And some of the benefit might be seen because they're also implementing other sorts of healthy lifestyle changes. But can we talk a little bit about some of the risks associated with intermittent fasting? And then also second to that, Who specifically should avoid intermittent fasting because of particular risks? So, some of the
2: risks would be fatigue or low energy. When you have low, Energy coming into your body from a nutrition standpoint, and some people see that more than others. Some people see fluctuations more than others. Some other people will lose lack of focus when they start to get hungry. So if we're not eating until lunchtime, maybe we're not super productive at work in the morning. My biggest concern for this for a lot of people is decreased muscle mass or delay in recovery, because when we look at aging, we know that in order to contain and, and keep as much muscle mass as possible, we need to be active and we need to be nailing our protein intake three times a day at least least three hours apart. So if we're only eating for, you know, six to eight hours a day, are we getting that in? So decreased muscle mass, delayed recovery is a concern as well. And then again, like we were saying earlier, is just that difficult social integration and, and making sure that it's not taking away from, you know, that fun part of life.
0: In the COVID world, a lot of that social integration is often much more important than I think people give it credit for. Like just going and sitting with some friends and, you know, having some food and some laughs is, you know, it it can be really beneficial on, on many levels.
1: So when I was thinking about potential harms, I immediately thought of folks with diabetes. And when I was doing some searching, it almost seems like there's a lot of controversy. Some people are are advocating that it could be helpful for people with type two diabetes. Some people even go so far as to say it could reverse the condition, but then others are saying, you know, absolutely not. It could be extremely dangerous if you're messing with glucose levels and things like that. It's, it's, it's not a good idea. So, so Megan, what do you think about that? Um, let's talk to our folks uh, who have diabetes. So I think in my eyes, I draw the line between
2: someone with diabetes, whether type one or type two, that's on insulin versus someone who's not on insulin. So if someone's on insulin, they have no business, <laughs> you know, doing intermittent fasting. That's probably going to be very dangerous for them. But like you were saying, I've worked with type two diabetes patients and found that some of them did have success managing blood sugar without medication by intermittent fasting. Most of them were men. And again, this is like case by case basis. So I think we know from a type 2 diabetes perspective that if we're carrying excess weight or we're eating too much carbohydrate at one time, managing those two things helps us manage our blood sugar. So if someone's losing weight by doing intermittent fasting and being more cognizant of how many carbohydrates are coming into their body at a Certain time. You know, of course, those two things are going to help with type 2 diabetes, but is that the best way? I think we've already kind of discussed that it's probably not. So, you know, to really answer your question, type 1 diabetics or a type 2 diabetic that ha- is taking insulin, I would say absolutely not, that it would definitely be dangerous to do something like intermittent fasting, but the type 2 diabetes space is where I think it's still a little questionable.
0: And of course, we already covered, you know, those who are prone to eating disorders or who have a history of disordered eating. Are there any other individuals that you would say should not attempt intermittent fasting?
2: I know it's controversial, but I don't think athletes should be doing intermittent fasting either. Um, And then of course, anyone who's pregnant. I wouldn't recommend it.
0: Yeah, I mean, for me as an athlete, if I'm not eating pretty much continuously all the time, I just feel like a disaster. So I, I uh, I get my hangry
1: on for sure.
0: And I'm not an athlete, and I get
1: hangry. (laughs) So so I'm sort of chime in with that for the non-athletes who are listening. Sorry, Andrea. I know you're you're about to wrap up and take us home.
0: Megan, is there anything else that you want our listeners to know about intermittent fasting or about you know fad diets or dietary patterns general? I
2: think, you know, within our culture, we see someone having success in an area that we want to have success. And we immediately want to know, what did you do? What did you do? How did you do it? I got to do it too. So I think it's okay to be interested in how other people are having success with, let's just use weight loss as an example. But at the same time, we need to be thinking about what's best for us. No one knows us better than us, right? So think about that. Think about what's going to work for you. Think about how you feel your best. Like we said, if you're prone to getting super hungry or lack of focus or exhausted when you're not eating more regularly, or you're trying to build muscle mass, like these are the things that you're like, okay, maybe this worked for this person, but maybe this won't work for me. So I just can't, you know, hit home enough how important it is to just truly absorb information that you're seeing from other people who are having success, but then think about it, reflect on it and see if it's something that makes sense for you personally. Personally.
0: I think that's so so beautifully described. And, and I will also add the caveat that if you are considering a drastic dietary change, please consult your clinical team. Please consider consulting a registered dietitian. Don't make any of these drastic changes without you know discussing this with, with someone else maybe who knows your medical history as well. Thank you again, Megan. It was such a pleasure to have you on today. I know that our listeners are going to get some really valuable information from this, and we're, we're super excited to finally be able to tackle this topic. Listeners, please follow Megan at Featherstone Nutrition. She is doing all sorts of debunks on her Instagram page all the time. So make sure to follow her and get more nutrition and athletic-related advice and and data. She's always citing all of her resources in her comments as well. If you want more Unbiased Science, please check out our Substack subscription. We post extending content there periodically and also respond to questions and comments. The biggest perk of subscribing will be your access to our private Facebook group and our monthly live Q&As. It is $5 a month to subscribe, so check it out at the unbiased unbiasedscipod.substack.com. Next episode, we are going to be discussing infant feeding, breastfeeding, formula feeding, and more. We will continue to provide updates on COVID-19, RSV, HPV, and influenza, as well as many other science topics on our social media accounts. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at unbiasedscipod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science.
1: I am a scientist Yeah, Uh, I am a scientist Yeah, Uh, I am a scientist